So yesterday I have been um, speaking about the Vipalasa regarding impermanence, you know, taking that which is impermanent as permanent. And uh, spoke in particular at the end, you know, about the progression of insight. And uh, we have also uh, put a little overview about this onto the uh, resource page for the retreat. If you'd like to have a look at one point and this progression of insight, you know, basically starts with observing, noticing impermanence, and then the deep noticing and understanding of this leads to letting go via this passion and cessation. They're both, you know, once we have enough awareness that we can notice impermanence so that it really has an impact onto our mind and the mind really adapts to the fact that all conditioned phenomena are impermanent, then that leads to this passion and to the capacity, you know, to allow and fully embrace the ending of things. Because it's deeply understood, you know, that which has a beginning has an end. And, and then letting go is the, the fruition of that. And uh, what is, is seen very clearly is that this, that which is impermanent is dukkha. And that's what I want to speak about today. That is, you know, on our little list. The second Vipalasa, seeing what is painful, dukkha as pleasant, sukha. And, and dukkha is uh, a word, you know, which we can find in uh, ancient Indian and uh, Sanskrit and Pali literature. And the word, you know, is stands for unpleasant, suffering, sorrow, distress, grief, misery, discomfort. And it you know, consists of two parts. Do is the first part, and that means something like uh, bad or ill-fitting or not really well-centered. And the second part of the word ka means sky or space or hole. So I mean like a little hole. And in that uh, context, it uh, points to the axle hole in the center of a wheel where the axle doesn't fit in very well. So that's the word, the do part. So uh, an ill-fitting uh, axle hole, where the, and that leads to a bumpy ride, basically. At those times, you know, people were using chariots. and you know, if the axle doesn't fit very well into the axle hole, the ride is a bumpy one. And that's, you know, how we could define our life. There's always something not quite adding up or not adding up for very long. So that's what is pointed towards, a bumpy ride and uh, makes it also very clear that 
if we expect, you know, that the ride isn't pumpy, then we will suffer a lot. If we are okay with the bumpiness of it and can embrace it for what it is, then there won't be any suffering. There might still be discomfort. There might still be pain, but not necessary suffering because the suffering is the resistance to the pain. And the suffering doesn't come from the circumstances, but it comes from clinging and grasping to not have any discomfort, to not have any pain, to always have everything exactly the way we want it. That's productive of suffering. And uh, that's very well you know, encapsulated in the very central teaching of Buddhism, the Four Noble Truths. And the first noble truth is simply says there is suffering. And suffering has to be understood. And our first teacher, Arjun Sumedho, he always spoke, spoke about we have to understand suffering to really stand under it. You know, to really draw close and really take an interest. Where is this coming from, this suffering? And then if we really look deeply, we see, you know, the origin of suffering is not inherent in the phenomena and, and in the impermanence of phenomena, but the origin of suffering comes from clinging and wanting phenomena to be a certain way, you know, wanting to nail them down and just stay that way. And that is productive of suffering because it creates a tension between what we want and what really is. And that can get, you know, sometimes very, very intense. And then, you know, if we start to see this and then the grip of the mind opens up, then the suffering diminishes accordingly. That's the third noble truth, the end of suffering through the realization of non-grasping. And, you know, the full realization is the same as uh, what we call also enlightenment, nibbana, or awakening, maybe a better word. And then there's the fourth noble truth, the path leading to the end of suffering, the noble eightfold path. So that encapsulates the whole teaching, and it's also you know, called the elephant footprint of the Buddhist teaching, because all other teachings fit inside of this Four Noble Truths. And they are noble because they are in accordance with reality. And sometimes, you know, the Buddha was described as a spiritual doctor, and this... Uh, you know, this template of the Four Noble Truths is very, you know, similar to the um, way of diagnosis of, you know, the Ayurvedic medicine in ancient India. So first finding out what's the, you know, what's the reason, what's the virus, what's the issue, why somebody is sick. And... Well, let's say you know, first making a statement that someone is sick and then looking what's the origin, the virus, and seeing that's clinging. And then seeing what is complete health. Complete health within of this, this template would be 
a full awakening. And then looking at the prescription, which is the Noble Eightfold Path. So the Buddha is a spiritual doctor, you know, giving us a, a complete treatment, you know, which we can choose to follow in order to get rid of this virus, which is called clinging and grasping. Not by, you know, trying to suppress it or beat it out, but by clear seeing and really fully understanding the repercussions of grasping and clinging. And uh, in the scriptures, you know, they're spoken about three different kinds of suffering. And I just uh, shortly want to let you know what they are. So the first kind is dukkha dukkha, and that's uh, translated the suffering of suffering. So that's, you know, physical and mental discomfort, which we all experience simply by the fact that we are born, old age, sickness and death. So all of those uh, things, you know, which are happening for all of us, which are generally are not, not experienced as not being desirable. So that's the first kind of suffering. The second one is Viparinama Dukkha. That's the suffering of change. So know that all, all states, happy states and unhappy states, when the conditions change, the states also change. And, uh, you know, happy states become unhappy states and unhappy states be can become happy states. So that, that kind of suffering. And then the third one is Sankara Dukkha, the all pervasive suffering. So this, you know, this, the simple fact of conditioned existence has suffering in it. The basis, basic, unsatisfactoriness, you know, pervading all of existence because it's constantly changing and deeply, deeply entangled. And things tend to never add up or measure up to our expectations for very long. And uh, then clinging arises because of our preferences, and then that is productive of suffering. So that's three different ways, you know, how we can look into, into this. And, you know, the suffering doesn't need to be like a huge, big kind of suffering, but just, you know, that underlying um, sense of, uncertainty, you know, because we never really know what is going to happen next. And, you know, we can make that conscious by really, uh, you know, paying attention to, you know, how we are holding our body sometimes, you know, our tone of voice. It can be a very subtle way of uh, how that transmits. And then, you know, if we're going to stay with that and investigate into it, 
we can uh, you know see certain tensions or so which are which we carry and then we can investigate you know what what's underneath of this and then you know if we really get in touch with that it can uh, open up the grip which sometimes is quite unconscious you know for example looking how do I hold my shoulders and then sometimes you know you noticed oh I have my shoulders always pulled up and then you're just dropping them that's what happened to me a lot when I started to practice I had a lot of tension here in my shoulders and neck area and for, for a long time you know I had to always check and then notice how I was pulling my shoulders up and then just letting them drop again. Now that's not happening anymore. But it took me a lot of um, observation, you know, to see how, how I was doing that just automatically. Or we can hold also quite a lot of tension in our jaw. Just notice it and not, it's not judging it, but just noticing it and letting it go. And then, you know, over time, it starts to ease out. And, you know, and it all comes from this, you know, addiction to wanting things a particular way and not wanting things to be another way. And, you know, just the unwillingness of being with this with the discomfort of change. And you know, in these days, you know, this this unwillingness to be with discomfort has immense repercussions if we can look at the climate crisis, you know, which is is a result of billions of people you know, wanting discomfort and some of, of those billions, you know, having so much more comfort than others. So this is a, it's a serious issue, you know, that, and also, you know, people which live in great comfort for a long time, their capacity for resilience, you know, decreases. And then, you know, every little thing is a, is a problem one becomes so sensitive and not really able, you know, to hold steady when things are not going our way. And, and that is just, you know, has disastrous proportion these days. And we really need to make friends with the limitations of the um, human existence, you know, the physical limitations, old age, sickness, and death. That's just a part and parcel of being born. It's not a personal failure. So I think that's a, a very important contemplation, especially these days, you know, where we have been used to huge amounts of, of comfort, which have been unthinkable, you know, just 
a hundred years ago. It hasn't really made us much happier, really. That's also something to, to consider. And, uh, you know, to build the resilience we need to have in order to meet what is going to come to us. And at the same time, you know, having the capacity to say no sometimes to something. I don't need this. Simplifying our lives, you know, not trying to... Uh, you know, have the best of everything and then really getting lost in that pursuit of having the most comfortable thing of, of yeah, everything out there. Because it really doesn't give us what we are really looking for. Because what we are really looking for is a sense of connectedness and we need a certain amount of comfort you know enough to eat and you know enough uh, warmth or coolness for the body and there is basic needs we do all have that is clear but it has become uh, you know a crazy business these days and it I think it's really important to question those things and be more independent from the mainstream you know brainwashing efforts which are upon us you know day and night through the internet and many other ways you know and noticing that You know, being alive means that there is change happening all the time. And because of that, there is, as long as there is clinging and grasping, there will be a certain amount of dukkha. And then, you know, for a fully enlightened or fully awakened individual, there still will be pain because there is still change happening, but there won't be any suffering. Because the suffering is additional to the pain. And the suffering comes from grasping and clinging and from you know, not being in the flow, trying to stop the flow, trying to preserve the status quo, trying to not go with the change. And seeing that that comes from a sense of separation which which you know is productive of of fear and anxiety and it is exactly that sense of separation which we need to work with in order to recognize who we really are and then from that place of knowing who we really are we can act, we can be, you know, in communication with a much vaster intelligence than our own. You know, the dualistic thinking mind of 
Homo sapiens, you know, which was has produced a lot of uh, great things, but it has forgotten the bigger picture. And now, you know, the bigger picture is shown to us by the poly crisis, you know, the climate crisis, and all of the other polarizations, you know, which become more and more apparent through the intensity of the situation, you know, which forces us to either, you know, go into blaming others and going into more and more polarization or really looking deeply at ourselves. and welcoming the teaching of the earth so that we will you know be able to be part of the solution be part of the shift and you know using more of our potential <clears throat> By growing into it and you know growth is always connected with stretching and certain amount of discomfort and fear but at the same time it's a, also a great opportunity to really um, experience a greater sense of connectedness and purpose in life You know, as we are standing on this evolutionary threshold and and really, you know, having the opportunity because of circumstances to, you know, rekindle certain capacities which are dormant in our system. We just haven't used it for a long time. You know, just if you haven't been playing the piano for 30 years and you sit down again, it's going to be a little bit edgy. You know, how are you going to do this? But then if you relax and and do a little bit training, you know, it, it's going to come back. It's going to come back. So it's, it's about, you know, this um, challenge which can bring out the best of us if we are opening to it not trying to run away from it because we can't really we can't stop the river from flowing that's impossible makes a lot of pressure first you know we can build a dam and then fortify it and fortify it and fortify it and at one point it's just going to crash down and we can we have a choice you know we can soften that crash by opening to it now you know, not waiting for other people to do it for us. Some big, you know, father figures, the president of America or the king of England or whoever that big guy can be, you know. That's not going to happen this way. It has to be done individually, but otherwise. And we all are those individuals. 
we have been waiting for. And yeah. You know, and it's 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 a real outgrowing of of certain assumptions, you know, assumption of patriarchy, you know, where there was always the big big man rescuing us. I, I remember when I started to practice over 30 years ago, you know, there was was a very hierarchical kind of system, I, you know, how Buddhism was at that time, how it was uh, communicated in, in the monastery. I can't anymore imagine, you know, to live in that way now where, you know, so much was expected of, of the leaders in a way, you know, which they, they couldn't really deliver. And, and I think that's what we also increasingly see now. You know, we have to all together do this work. Because it's not something that somebody else can give to us. It's a, it's a realization which we all have to individually work for within of our own bodies and minds. But to do it together in community is very, very helpful. But we can't, and we can't give that to each other, but we can hold each other by, you know, speaking about our experience and showing up and, uh, you know, being here and, and not pretending that we are further along the path than what we really are. And that really is so helpful, you know, with... Uh, having the courage to open to the pain and the stretch of you know the way we think and how reality really is and having that come ever more into um uh, coming ever more into um, alignment that's the word attunement and that goes through noticing the dissonance which is uncomfortable and then allowing the dissonance to readjust itself and you know to have a very clear intention a very clear motivation for the practice can help us you know to have a clear place where we are coming from and then trusting the process by giving it the space it needs you know the space and the awareness allow these adjustments to happen naturally and for us is is to be with the uncertainty and the discomfort and sometimes, you know, all of those early feelings which are triggered, early undigested materials of like, you know, hopelessness and not knowing what to do and this kind of very unpleasant feelings to hold steady. 
until you know it shifts again and then you know there's a sense of alignment again and a sense of being in connection and feeling feeling safe and then it it's it changes again and that's a constant you know up and down and we can either you know fully buy into it and make like a big drama out of it or we can hold steady with it and then you know the faith and the uh, confidence in the impermanence of all of those phenomena increases and then you know those waves which are made through the dukkha which we experience they become less and less overpowering because we don't add the resistance to it but we know okay this is part of what it means to grow there is stretching happening you know there's those three zones you know the comfort zone the stretch zone and the panic zone it's good you know to be in the stretch zone and sometimes in a comfort zone and then sometimes you know when something overwhelming happens we get into the panic zone and then it's just important you know to relax into that into the fear into the panic into the distress to relax into it not shutting down that's so important for this uh, practice to allow things to be what they are and then they start to integrate and when it's the going is tough then to do it with others to co-regulate with others and because it really helps to open up the container normally you know if there's fear there's resistance and then we get very tight contracting and then if we are with others, you know, where there's a sense of trust and a sense of connection can open up again. And then there's more space for the energy to flow. And then it resolves itself naturally. Because this process has its own intelligence. And these days, you know, we need to learn not only from other humans, but also we can learn from the biointelligence of many other relatives out there. Plant relatives, animal relatives, they all have to teach us something because most of them, they are much longer here than ourselves. We have gotten really kind of lonely, you know, like on the throne. We have to come down from the throne and join into the community of living beings we are not capable to be the master of all of this and we are not supposed to be that was just like a delusion and without you know having a good amount of dukkha how would we have ever learned this but it's um 
you know, everything which happens in the practice is food for, for uh, growth. If we are meeting it in the right way, I think that's that's uh, something to remember. You know, whatever it is, the most horrific thing, we can turn it around and make it food for growth. I think, you know, that's all what I wanted to share today about Dukkha and the ending of Dukkha, you know, which is really the center of the Buddhist practice. That's one of the ways, you know, how the Buddha has been summarizing his teaching. I teach suffering and the end of suffering. That's it in a nutshell, what he teaches. 